Today's episode of the Mets Up Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. First off, that's huge. And that's what we use here on the Mets Up Podcast. I highly suggest it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. And you're allowed to make money from your podcast from day one with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you guys download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What is up, Mets Up listeners? Back here for episode number 54 of the Mets Up podcast. Of course, I'm your co-host, Draft Neck Mark. Mark Luino here with James Schiano. Jeter had no range. Talking about the New York Mets final home series of the 2021 season up against the Miami Marlins. And while we originally thought that this series could have big implications, this could be the series that maybe clinches a divisional victory. Maybe this gets us into the playoffs. We know that's just not the case. We know that the Mets are not competing for a playoff spot. The Mets have nothing to compete for besides personal pride. And I will say this, they came out and they played kind of okay baseball. Uh, A lot of games were really just a perfect microcosm for the entire Mets season. Just some decent hitting, no runs, an offensive explosion, some good pitching here and there. You got a little bit of everything this series. And while there isn't a lot of actual value to this series by any means because of the season or playoff implications, we're still going to talk about it. You know we're going to be able to take some things away from this as we start to wrap up this 2021 season. So if you guys are not yet following us on Twitter and Instagram, TikTok as well, at Metzed Up, drop us a subscription on the YouTube channel as well, Metzed Up Podcast. Uh, if you're listening to this, the video is going to be up a little later. I'm heading to Texas on what's going to be Friday morning. I don't have time to edit this, so we're going to try and find someone to do that for us, get that done so you can at least have a video version if you'd like, maybe a day later. Uh, make sure you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be there. Drop us a five-star rating. Drop us a review. It really does help us grow the podcast in what has been a fantastic first season. Not yet done, but we're right around there. And that was the last home game of the season, which both me and James were at. So, James, after a few bevs, after some good food, after some good times, how are we feeling? I'm feeling good, man, because we went to these last two games for our listeners at home. We back-to-back, last two games of the year. You might as well live it up. It's all we have. I felt pretty bad after last night, but after tonight, I kind of have, for some reason, no, not warranted at all, have a good taste in my mouth at the end of the season. Yeah, I didn't expect to be a positive spin today. I expected just kind of what we've been doing recently, which is a little bit going through the motions, a little bit of just kind of wait until the offseason comes around. But as weird as you, it sounds, like you said, I'm not okay with the season, but I've come to terms with it, I think. And that's kind of where I'm at right now with the Mets. Definitely. In totality, it's still a travesty, and no one should forget the fact that this team underachieved, didn't meet expectations, and more or less collapsed over the last six weeks here. But I mean, we were in first place for the most days in Major League Baseball history to then finish with a losing record. Only the Mets. Only the Mets. Only the Mets. But still, just the way today went, just personally, we us having a great day with our pal Ernie, meeting a lot of listeners, meeting some fans, and then just the way the Mets actually like played on this encore at City Field, I feel better than I should. Yeah, and I want to give a quick shout-out to all the people that we met today in the last few days. Uh, there's a particular guy. I don't think you told us your name, but you're British, and you know who you are, and I know that you listened to it during your daughter's gymnastic lessons, so you you definitely know that we're talking about you. Huge shout-out to this guy. Um, really cool. He just 
was probably one of the nicer people that I've met. Uh, he's from England, and he said that I'm the reason that he's a Mets fan. It's really cool. It's one of the cool interactions that I've had, and he loves James as well, too, which is nice that he's a huge fan of the podcast. So big shout-out to him because he was incredibly excited to meet us, which was really just a, a very humbling moment. It's, it's really nice to get that kind of interaction, as well as some guys on the boardwalk that we met. Um, who <laughs> The beer guy over there, he was a real, he was a real character. I like that guy. Chris. As well as the dudes. What? Chris. Chris and James. His name yeah, was James, too, the boardwalk yeah. guy as well. I'm talking about the guy, Chris, the guy was selling the beers. He was a Oh, hoot. yeah. He's a hoot, and I can't wait to take him up on those deals next year because that is my 100% McFadden's. McKellar, absolutely not. We're going to the boardwalk on the way to the LIRR and getting some $6 beers, two for six. Two for six, $3 beers, not getting a $6 beer. And then we went up during the fourth inning, and we hung out with some people down section 100. I also forgot your name, but Twitter, fourth quarter sports. We talked about baseball for a long time. You're a homie. Flavio, I think his name was. Flavio? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. something like that. Fabio, Flavio, you're right about that. Um, the guy who you talked to, who you've known for a long time. Oh, Nick Madonia. Yeah, shout mm-hmm. out to him. That's like one of the OGs of the channel. A couple OGs met today. That Even a guy that, I, I didn't, what was his name? Oh, he gave us his business card. Oh, I have it. I have my wallet right here. Let's give him a plug. Let's give some yeah, love was, to um, all the viewers. That was down in the, the lower section at the end of the game. John Lahara, vehicle acquisition coordinator of Koppel, Nissan, and Jackson Heights. So shout Which out to you. Which is the most electric way to describe a car salesman. That's sick. That's an amazing title. John, I'm, I'm in the market for a car right now, so if you let me know I can get the deal, slide my DMs, we can have a conversation. Shout out to him, though. He dropped a Jabari Blash reference, which you're a true OG at that point. Uh, we also met uh, Wardy and his friend Rich. Richie, mm-hmm. who's another uh, Mets YouTuber as well. Those guys are some of the great guys in the community as well. It's really nice to meet everybody, really nice to get interactions. And again, part of what made to be a great day. I, let's, just, let's just talk about that one since we're on the topic of Game 4. Might as well, let's just yeah. get it over with. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a really nice game. It was awesome. Me and James and Ernie, like we said, sat behind home plate. We treated ourselves last game of the year, $70 tickets, Section 17, Row 13. We were living large. We were mm-hmm. living large. We're not one to be, you know, these aristocrats by any means, the, the suits, but we were acting like some. No, everyone out there knows that we're salt of the earth. But for one game, last game of the year, we figured we might as well. And it was a nice experience, a wonderful place to watch a ball game. Let me tell you, that is the best seat in the house. I just don't understand how I could ever sit upper deck after sitting back there because it is, you're spoiled. Like, they say, like, oh, a great seat's down the first baseline or in center field. Behind home plate, it's just the best seat. It's undisputed. Always, 100%. And we also got a bunch of food. We were getting some drinks. It was just a great night. Great night. And what was really cool, too, was the Mets played really well. One of their better games all season, especially on the offensive side. We put up 10, 12, 13 runs, whatever it was. 12 or 13, I don't even remember. It's all a blur at this point. Also, Rich Hill just did what he always does in the second half, just pitches well. I'm ready to give this guy uh, another one-year contract for next year. If he's willing to take it. Like, you want to talk about, like, getting some pitching depth and something that we've talked about with this organization that they need to focus on. Rich Hill is a perfect, perfect guy because no matter what, he's going to give you five innings every five days, every single time. It's just a matter of whether or not he's going to actually play another year. I could see Rich Hill hanging up the cleats. I don't know. Why would Rich Hill hang up the cleats? The guy just throwing 160 innings this year and his ERA sitting in the low fours. Because he's older than all his coaches on the staff. He's 41 years old, so he'll be 42 next year, but if he's still effective, he's still effective. Someone's going to give Rich Hill $10 million to once again throw 160 moderately effective innings. Like, that's a lock. 30 teams in baseball could use Rich Hill in their roster. That was a really underrated pickup that I feel like the Mets got a little lulled Mets to, even though we gave up absolutely nothing for him. And he was, again, if this team was competing for a spot, you'd look at this Rich Hill trade and say, wow, what a friggin' trade the Mets made. But it's just they're not in it, so you don't care. 
No, he could have been a legitimate difference maker. The bulk that he's given us, and again, I'll say the effectiveness. Richel's not just going out there and throwing innings for no good reason. He has Marlins hey, they're swinging out of their shoes on 69 mile an hour unknown pitches as they're listed on the City Field um, Jumbo so Tron. Hilarious. But he just drops that arm slot, he throws that slider slow curve thing, and guys can't hit it. And it makes 88 seem a lot faster when the off speed's coming in at 68. And, of course, the big story, though, outside of Rich Hill being that dude. We love Dick Mountain. We were screaming a lot of Dick from the, yeah. from the section over there. A little too much. A little too much Dick. But the bats broke out. Dick gave the ball the hand. Yes. Oh, man. I didn't even think about that. Oh, that's a lot of penis jokes there. <laughs> Dick ball hand. Oh, okay. Anyway, off the fellatio stuff. Um, yeah, we had Pete and Lindor breaking out the bats, which was nice. Pete to 40 is legitimate possibility. That's the only thing we're playing for this weekend. We got a real shot for it. And he's in Atlanta where he hits well, and the mm-hmm. ball flies out of Atlanta. The Braves are not playing for anything because they clinched the Amer- American League, National League East crown. There's a world where Pete hits three home runs this series. That is not unheard of. He could have had three home runs today too, but friggin' Magnaris Sierra made one of the catches of the year in center field. I forgot about that until just now. He could have had three home runs today. He could have had a day. I forgot about it too. I didn't even include it in the notes. Good job for remembering it. Just came back to me. I don't know how. It's you know almost one a.m. in the one a.m. in the morning. That's really redundant, but it's almost one a.m. and it's coming back. Lindor, that grand slam too, was just a great little send off for him for City Field this year. A place where he struggled for not the majority of the season, but for what felt like the majority of the season. And the crowd gave him a really nice ovation. I thought we were going to cur- get a curtain call. We were the only people in the whole ballpark chanting Francis go. Francisco. No one joined in. No, I was really disappointed. Like, all right, yeah, we suck, and the season's been disappointing, but let's enjoy ourselves with the last game here. Let's give him a let's give him a round of applause because, like, like you said, while his season started off so miserably, he's ended up with a pretty solid season with the Mets. Not what we expect, but better than what it could have been for sure with how it started, and it's drawing a lot of similarities to that first year with Beltron, which is something that you've been telling me a lot recently. So many similarities, because Beltron, similarly, that year, had four really, really horrible April and May. The, this was a, it was a Mets team in 2005 that was supposed to be competitive after they made a lot of preseason acquisitions, but really turned out to underachieve a lot, even though they had guys like Delgado, Beltron, Reyes, Wright, Pedro Martinez, John Main on that roster. And then for the rest of the season, he just hit very well and wound up with, yeah, just like very similarly to Lindor. In that first year with the Mets, Carlos Beltran's WRC Plus was just like a hair below 100. Lindor has actually gotten above 100 because of his hot last two weeks. And he was worth about two wins on the season for a guy who was generally a 5, 6, even 7 win player in his peak. I think we're going to see the exact same thing from Lindor, where next year he's going to be a superstar once again, MVP conversation, as long as he just maintains every all the gains that he's made within the last few months. I mean, you just tend to see this with guys changing leagues, leagues changing divisions. Like, there's an adjustment period for sure, especially coming in New York, especially City Field, which is just one of the least hitter-friendly ballparks in the entire game. You got to make adjustments, and it seems like he's figured it out here down the stretch. I mean, look at a guy like even Paul Goldschmidt. He struggled a little bit in St. Louis early, and he's been one of the better hitters in baseball this year. Like, guys need some time to get acclimated and adjusted to their new situation, and I think Lindor is doing that nicely, something that Mets fans can take as a positive going into the end of the year. I think another comparison is Springer, a guy who's still been trying to get his feet under him after an injury-riddled first half with one of the best lineups in baseball still just takes a little bit of time and I'm just looking right now at Carlos Beltran's Fangraphs page I don't think I ever really realized how good he was oh he was from sick. 2006 through 2010 he MVP candidate he had like years where he was striking out the same amount as he was walking with set he had a 7.8 win season 
He was That's sick. a ridiculously high number. That's disgusting. My God. Super, super undervalued and underrated. And I feel like, especially in Mets fans' eyes, you always talk about Wright and Reyes. Beltran just doesn't get the love sometimes. And I think a lot of that is because his first three months with the team, he was dog shit. And hopefully, we can get over that with Lindor and we don't have this same issue here because Lindor has shown us, the second half specifically, but really this last month, the quality of player we can expect and we can look forward to for the next 10 years because that's when the contract's now kicking in is these next 10 I, like, it's kind of a, it's a little bittersweet here, but I'm glad to see him playing this well, and I'm super excited for what he's going to be able to do in the future, and I, I don't think that you should be feeling any other way. No, definitely, and they, they drop the uh, nice little stats on City Field for every single at-bat. Francisco Lindor is the most RBIs of any shortstop in all of baseball in September, the most hits of any shortstop in baseball in September. The guy is just a flat-out good hitter, and I really hope that all of the Mets fans have looked past what has happened and you didn't write him off and you didn't create a stupid narrative in your head that one, the guy isn't consistent, or two, the guy isn't clutch. And I really am going to start to feel bad for the Mets fans that have dug their feet in against him because he's the best player in this team, whether you like it or not. And he's not going anywhere, whether you like it or not. So you might as well lean in and accept the superstar that we have and just understand the talent and the, the blessing that he really is as a ball player. Yeah, did not play like a superstar this year by any means. I, we're not trying to say he did, but you can see the times where he has, and you go, that's what we expect more of. That's what we're going to start to see. Good things for uh, Lindor coming. Pete, of course, big game. And then let's talk about Michael Conforto, because this might have been Michael Conforto's last game at City Field as a New York Met. Had a big game, three hits, mm-hmm. and he got uh, a nice little ovation uh, at the end of the game, as well as after he made a really nice catch out in right field, which might be one of the better defensive plays he's made in the Mets history for his career. It's it's tough not to get emotional about this guy because he has been here for so long, and I know that I've been extremely critical of him, and I've like I've been open about like I just don't think he should come back. I'm kind of done with him. But even you know seeing him walk off the field and raising his hand, like it, it's hard not to appreciate what this guy has done for this franchise, while it wasn't the heights that we were hoping that he reached, he still really was a great player in the grand scheme of things. Definitely. I think that's also probably something that us fans do because we want to manifest that all of our prospects that we like so much in first-round picks are going to become superstars. But that's not really the reality for 99% of baseball players. Like, how many superstars really exist? Malcolm Fordham never really played good enough defense or struck out a few enough times to actually become one of the better players in baseball. I really had enough power to do it. But you look at the player that Michael Conforto became, and if you if I could tell you that every one of our first-round picks for the next 10 years would have the same production over a five-year stretch as Michael Conforto, you would take that 10 times out of 10. You would. And past that, he just really seemed to like like New York. While he was not the most emotional or the most... um. I don't want to say indulgent, but the most like he wasn't ever the most charismatic guy. He didn't have a great relationship with the fans or even he, probably he appears seemingly. aloof at times almost. Yeah. But this year, especially his last couple months and tonight, you saw emotion out of him. He cried like he joined the pantheon of Mets who cried on the field with Wilmer Flores and Pete Alonso. like it happened. And it was very nice to see all the fans, us included, like stand up, cheer for the guy and you give him the respect that he deserves in terms of Mets history. 100%. He's a homegrown kid. He, had, he showed up in the 2015 World Series. He had a couple very nice years. He's a good ball player. You'd love to see the homegrown kid come up and just produce like that. And it was nice that he got an ovation that I really was not expecting. I feel like it was very catalyzed by that diving catch. And it kind of was the moment that every single Mets fan was like, wow, this guy's done a lot for us. Yeah, and I feel like it kind of became real of like, this is probably the good chance that it's the last time he's going to play for the Mets. And apparently on the broadcast too, Gary, Keith, and Ron were very much hinting at probably the last time we're going to see Michael Conforto in City Field in a Mets uniform. That... It just feels like we're going to go our separate ways. We'll see how it goes. 
gut reaction to the Mets bring back Michael Conforto next year? Not, I don't need to know the contract details. Is he a Met next year in 2022? My gut reaction is yes. See, yeah, mine goes no. I don't think so, but... I just don't think the Mets have enough guys who are definitely going to be coming back on this team who can perform well enough to be starting caliber players to let him walk if it's a reasonable deal. Because I think he's going to be offered the qualifying offer. I think there's no doubt about that. And I don't know if any team's going to match it. And that's not something that Boris really allows his clients to do, but... I just don't know what he's going to get. Like, I think when push comes to shove, Malcolm Ford is going to sign a one-year deal. And if he does end up signing a one-year deal, it's probably just going to be with the Mets because the team's not going to want to give up draft capital. That's yeah. logically as I could put it. It's also interesting to talk about Conforto and even a guy like Dom who had an extra base hit in the pinch hit role, which I said it a few episodes ago. Dom's just different in the pinch hit role. That seems like kind of where he's going to live, at least right now on the Mets, is in this much less impact role coming off the bench filling in every once in a while, especially without a DH. He's just a man without a spot because Pete's just simply way better. He's way better, and Dom just doesn't really do enough to warrant a roster spot if he's not a top-of-the-line hitter. This is something we, when we got we got pretty drunk before the game. We talked about every player in this roster basically extensively. That would have been a fun thing to record for the podcast. But it's just at some point, like if you can't play middle infield or like the outfield well, what are you really here to do? Yeah, and uh, I think it's also worth noting that uh, you know our favorite beat writer, Andy Martino, wrote an article on SNY about, it looks like the core is going to be breaking up. Dom was in part of that, you know, core. Conforto was a part of that core. Those are two guys that might not be here next year. I mean, there's a lot of pieces that seem like they're going to be moving. Hopefully we get the right executive to lead us in those right, in that right direction. It's just, it's, it's bittersweet. I hate to keep saying it, but it's just, it's a, it's not the way we wanted it to end. No, definitely not. We're also assuming that Andy Martino knows anything, which we can't possibly say that. He is about as ice cold, he's as cold as a cadaver. The dude's got no pulse whatsoever on anything. But that kind of, I don't want to say accusation, but claim, feels like you don't just throw that out there. I mean, he's thrown things out there before. Yeah, I guess what's stopping him? Who really cares, right? Sandy Martino. He's about as hot as Cody Bellinger with long hair. The hitter, <laughs> the hitter. Not, not the man. He's a man rocket with long hair, but hitting as well as he can with long hair. Yes. In this game, we also got Javi Baez. Keeping that streak alive with the hit by pitch. Didn't. Didn't really play particularly well, but hey, no. Javi Baez getting on base is is fascinating. <laughs> it is fascinating. This entire two months of Javi Baez is fascinating. And I don't really, again, want to talk about it at length because we're going to talk about it at length and probably about a week when we do our report cards and offseason predictions. So we should, just, we should just hang out with that. This was a great game. Good, happy feelings. James McCann even got an extra base hit, which is like, what the fuck is going on there? I'm not sure if he can hit the ball out of the park, but he did get a double. He did. He did hit a double. He's going to try and get that war up above 0.0 to end the year. <laughs> but it's good. Warm, fuzzy feelings after this game. So we should just talk about the first three games and just break down what we found interesting before we, you know, ride off into the sunset. Yes. So game one, we had the double header because you know, it's the Mets 2021 season. We got to have double headers and uh, should be the last one of the season. Hey, please. We can't have another one. If, some, if a game in Atlanta gets rained out, just please let us skip it because the double headers have been. The big, one of the biggest storylines of this entire Mets season. We have played in 14 of them. That's so many. So that's 28 games. 28 games of seven innings. So that means that the Mets have lost two times 28. The Mets have lost basically 56 innings of baseball this year. Could you imagine where our pitching would be if we had to play those 56 innings? We got This was a blessing in disguise that we got these innings wiped away. It really was a blessing because the Mets generally played super well in these double headers. Like, I really went through a schedule and found some big double header facts. First of all, again, we played in 14 of those, most in baseball this year by a good margin. This was the most in of any team that has played in baseball since 1979, where the Mets played in 19 double headers. 
which is a really funny shat, uh, stat. Shout out uh, Disha Thosar for that on Twitter a few days ago. The record for double headers, by the way, give me a number. Guess. 32. 44. That's so many. That's 88 games. 1943, the White Sox. They played half of their games as double headers in a season. Theoretically, yes. 88. I don't even know if they're playing 162 then. That's crazy. That's so many games. Here's another fun doubleheader stat. Guess the record for consecutive doubleheaders. This one shook me to my core. In a row? Yes. Like Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, that kind of thing? It, it wasn't every day, but consecutive game days that were doubleheaders. <sighs> Three? Nine. <laughs> 18 games in nine or ten days? That that's... It was eight, 18 games in 12 days by the 1928 Boston Braves. Okay, those they had other jobs. They were barely baseball <laughs> players back then. <laughs> I stand by that. They had to get the season over with because they had to go back to the mines. That's crazy. That's so many games. Another crazy doubleheader stat this year for the Mets is that Marcus Stroman pitched in eight of them. That's unbelievable, especially because he's like gotten a good chunk of innings this year too. And like Tons as we innings. know, we spoke about it earlier. Strowman's like uh, average inning or like average outing length has been skewed this year because of how many double headers he started in. Like, yeah, he maybe only goes four in a double header, but that's like six or seven in a normal game. Definitely, and most of the time it was even five, and that probably also skews some of his win totals. And it's it is a decent chunk, but I think it means something that the Mets were like so. Um, uh, steadfast about getting him on the mound for these seven inning games because he's a guy who you know could very, very consistently give you five or six innings, which would basically take you to seventh or eighth if you're playing a nine inning game. And just to break these down even more, we played 10 doubleheaders in the first half and four in the second. Again, 14 doubleheaders on the season. And you remember that one week we had three of them in that one week? Psycho. We're taking the whole season ended right there. And somehow Mets played two doubleheaders against the Rockies this year. Fucking Colorado. That game where they came in the private jet and Kevin Pillar asked if they were in Lambo. <laughs> that was that was funny a long time ago. Yeah, when the Mets were winning and having fun. Yeah, in April. But overall, in these fourteen doubleheaders, twenty-eight games, we went eighteen and ten. It's a really good record. Yeah, we were not swept in any of those doubleheaders either, and we swept them four separate times. It's like weird to say. I'm not. I'm not surprised, but I'm like a little like. Uh-huh, I guess I, it does make sense because, like you said. 10 in the first half. You know what the Mets are doing in the first half? Sitting in first place. Yeah, sitting in first place. And, and out of those 14 doubleheaders, we won the first game 11 times. Wow. 11 out of 14. We won game one. Well, we got a punt game too. That's why. No, of course. Yeah, yeah we're not going to do it again. We only swept four of those 11. <laughs> so seven times we, we split doubleheaders. The Louis Rojas punt. Punt on third down. Yeah, yeah, you can't have that. But again, even the four, uh, the three games we lost, game one, we always won game two. No sweep is it's nice. That's some positive spins on the New York Mets season. But like compared to the way the rest of the season went, if we didn't go eighteen and ten in double headers, like Jesus Christ, eight games above five hundred, and we're currently like yeah. six below it. Oh my God, it could be real miserable. More, I think we're more than six below it, but sure. Oh yeah, and then I guess back to the game here. It was just nice to see Nimmo Lindor getting it started early. Nimmo got the triple. Lindor scored him early with the single, something mm-hmm. I think that a lot of Mets fans are going to be getting very used to. Lindor and Nimmo at the top of the order creating runs. When they're both on, it's hard to not. Like, it's very much reminiscent of, like, the Reyes days. L- Nimmo gets on base better than Reyes. That's 100%. He doesn't steal the base like Reyes, but he gets on base more than him. And then Nimmo in the two-hole. I mean, we were happy when Paul LaDuca was hitting, too. We actually have a guy who can hit a home run. 
Red Lindor too. Like we're gonna score runs. This team's gonna be okay with those two at the top, especially two guys at the top of the order who are both gonna be walking like fifteen percent of the time for the foreseeable future. And it's funny that you made that drew that comparison between Nimmo and Reyes because those are by far the two best Met leadoff hitters of our lifetime. And I couldn't even possibly describe two different types of ball players, like two so more different, different ball players. So different. Two more different types of people. Two more different types of upbringings. Yeah. <laughs> Cheyenne, Wyoming versus the D- D- Dominican Republic. San Pedro de Macari. You can't even make that up. Ho- Jose Reyes right now has a rap career going on. I bet you Brandon Nimmo gives a shot, a folk career a shot after this is all said and done. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's completely different players. But like they both have immense value at the top of the order. And when the Mets were playing well in those years... Reyes was leading them, and as you've seen, like, with this offense, a lot of times, it kind of does go through Nimmo, as much as, like, there have been streaks where he's been on, and we haven't scored runs, but he gives us an opportunity every single game to get runs real quickly. Whatever you can say about the guy, he gets on base. The Peter Brand quote from Moneyball, he gets on base, no matter (laughs) what else happens. I think one of the most fun highlights from this game was when Marcus Stroman came up to bat in the second inning. So usually when the pitcher is coming up to bat, in an inning with two outs. Again, this was the last this was the last batch of pitchers taking at bats at City Field. So you know I was really taking it and enjoying all of it. You're not going to expect much. But Marcus Stroman hit the ground ball and I think there was a throwing error made by I want to say it was third baseman. Was it I can't recall. Yeah, I don't remember. That feels like a month uh, ago. Yeah, I don't remember either. But sitting on first base, Marcus Stroman takes off, runs to second, steals the bag, throws high, Marcus Stroman gets up, looks around. Guess a third in the error. So all of a sudden, Marcus Stroman is on third base with two outs. Nimmo, I think, popped up to end the inning. But it was fun to see a pitcher really really getting down dirty for probably one of the last times, trying to make something happen on the base paths. Yeah, you're not going to be seeing guys running the bases, let alone swinging bats anymore, probably in baseball <sighs> after this year. It's the death, the death of the old-time pitcher. Death of the ball player. It's great. I love it. Bullshit. And on the mound, I mean, he was, he was good. He was fine. No, he was fine. I mean... Definitely wasn't one of his sharpest starts. He only ended up getting four whiffs on the whole game and gave up a few runs to the Marlins, which is a few too many. His slider and cutter actually got no whiffs, which was kind of concerning. Of course, his four-seamer got one because four-seamer is always good for exactly one whiff, no more, no less, even though he only threw it six times. But he did his job. He's probably going to wind up this weekend as the only pitcher in baseball with 34 starts, which is a massive accolade. I'm very happy for Marcus. I think we just got to sign this man. I think it was also cool that Marcus Stroman, who is incredibly active on Twitter, more active than even the average person or even the average influencer. Especially recently. Yeah, especially over the last couple of weeks here, wherever reason that may be. He gave a shout-out and actually gave tickets to prominent members of Mets Twitter, Tim Ryder, who we've shouted out a couple times on here, and Matthew Brownstein, a really good guy who works for the New York Times and he does work for Mesmerize, always has some good stats, good pictures up. Those are probably two of the most positive voices on Mets Twitter. So if anyone out there um, needs a break from negativity, even though we are pretty positive, we're generally positive. We're like 70% positive. Those guys are like 99.9% positive. Stroman brought him to the game in his seats, gave Tim Ryder a, a game-used pair of signed cleats to give his daughter with a title Simply Amazing on it, which is the name of his podcast. It was, it was a class act from Stroman getting the back of two guys who, again, are just unbelievably positive on regular and basis. And have very much had his back all season. And what, like, I, there, there is a weird group of Mets fans who just doesn't like Stroman, and I don't understand how that's possible. I mean, half of them are probably a little bit racist. It feels like it. <laughs> feels like I don't like to accuse anybody, but, like, he's I'm a good pitcher. I'm saying he's a good pitcher. Because... Undoubtedly, he's a good pitcher. So there's, like, there's really no negatives to take. I don't get it. Especially, Marcus Stroman is so damn reliable. No matter what you could say, every five days, he takes the ball and he's excited to do it. That stat we say all the time. He has the most 
outings this year of giving up two earned runs or less. It was tied with Scherzer and I think Walker Bueller, Bueller Gaussman. Yeah. yeah. No matter why he's in the top two and mixed with those four, three other guys who are in basically Cy Young contention. The guy's just good. He's just a really good pitcher. He knows what he's doing. He seems to be getting better with age. Talented guy. Cerebral, smart, witty, athletic. He's a great, great guy to have in the clubhouse. Would love to see him in the clubhouse for another three, four years with the Mets. I think 100%. this has got to be his home for the future. I think so, too. I think there's no reason not to be. And then Lindor hit a home run in the sixth inning to basically put this game away. Edwin Diaz got a save. Cool. Mets won another doubleheader game. Happy days. We don't lose. We don't get swept in doubleheaders. We don't do it. Nope. Won't happen. Now game two. This one started off interesting because we got the return of Thor, and he brought his hammer. Not really. I mean, he only threw fastballs and changeups, but, you know, he looked about as good as you could be for a guy who threw 10 pitches and only fastballs and changeups. Like, he was pretty much in control. Definitely, and he sat 96, which is something that I, w- I was kind of worried about, his velocity coming into this. I know, think he only also knew it was 10 pitches, so he just let it all hang out there. And there's a guy who used to sit, like, 98 over six or seven innings, so 96 is good, not great in this situation, but sure. I don't know. It was nice to see him out there. It was good, the energy that he brought to the ballpark. We haven't seen Noah Syndergaard pitch a meaningful game since two years, six months before the coronavirus pandemic was even a thing on anybody's radar, which just feels like a lifetime ago. I don't know, man. I like Noah Syndergaard. I think that Noah Syndergaard is really shaping up to be a guy that is going to have a true renaissance in his 30s. I would love for him to be a Met for the duration of that. And, of course, the big question with Syndergaard, along with his health, is he's a free agent at this at the end of the season. So what is his future plan? Is he a part of the Mets' future? Noah Syndergaard gave his opinion on it. Uh, De- Anthony DeComo got this quote from him. Noah Syndergaard on potentially returning to the Mets. I'm fairly confident that we'll reach an agreement, and I'll be pitching here next year. To me, sounds like a guy who's like qualifying offer. I'm taking it. Maybe even like a two-year deal at a, a discounted rate. Just to get that, you know, insurance that he's going to have a job for a couple years, I'm all in. I'm I'm cool with it. There's if there's guys to take risks on, I'm happy to take a risk on a guy who's six foot twelve and throws ninety eight miles an hour and has shown elite stuff at the major league level before. And you're not going to find a pitcher at cost who has the potential. No, Syndergaard does. You're just no, not not possible. Like Carlos Rodon, I guess Kevin Gaussman, I guess, but I would still probably in a vacuum take a fully healthy Noah Syndergaard over either of those guys. Robbie Ray, like, you think, really think Robbie Ray is going to be better than Noah Syndergaard over the next five years? I just can't buy that. I and really he's gonna can't. Be, those are going to be hot arms, too. Like, they're going to be, people are going to be bidding for those guys. I don't want to get in a bidding war for those guys. I just don't. No, give me give me Alex Cobb. Two years, 30 million. That's all I want. <laughs> you love Alex Cobb. I love Alex Cobb. I can't wait for that guy to win 18 games next year as a Met. And we love Syndergaard. Hope he's back in the orange and blue. It's cool to see him get 100%. out there at least one time this year. It felt it felt good. Again, we're going to use this word a lot. This was a bittersweet moment because the crowd was electric. He was pumping the fastball. He was just jacked up. He had the effortless delivery. And you're like, it could have been so much different if we had something like this all year. If we had a little juice, no juice. He is a guy with juice. We talk about lack of juice. No one's in the guard has juice. Yeah, throwing a 99-mile-an-hour fastball right by the guy's head in the first pitch of a World Series game, that's juice. I'll say he's Escobar. Yeah, fucking rat. God damn it. Anyway, uh, enough of thinking about the bad times here. Let's continue to talk about this game. Trevor Williams was turned into, like, a really serviceable guy that does his role. Like, it's if you're giving me him or Gerard Eikhoff, oh, my God, Trevor Williams all friggin' day. He looked great, honestly. This was the second time he's done this to the Marlins this month. I remember, that, like, actually, I was thinking it was still August, but that Labor Day, pre-Labor Day week, he had another bulk, uh, second game of a doubleheader bulk appearance against the Marlins where he just looked great. Jesus Sanchez got a big home run off him, but besides that, got 13 whiffs on 33 swings, which is 39%. 
The changeup had five on nine swings, and it's cool. This is a guy who's generally reliable, who had an option this year, and he's going to have them again next year. Wow. He just he just looks like he's going to be a pretty valuable piece of the 40-man roster. He's three options left. That's crazy. No way. Fangraph says. I'm, I'm sure that doesn't include this year's, but that still gives him two. That's that makes wild him a, to me. That kind of makes it make way more sense that he, um yeah, was, this was the pre-2021 season number season number of waiver options remaining. That's awesome. That kind of makes that trade make way more sense, the deadline, uh, taking him over Zach Davies, because you can shovel him next year between New York and Syracuse. He can give you bulk innings. He could start if you need him. He could pitch in relief if you need him. And while, again, he's not very good, if he could pitch against the Marlins, and he could just get those innings when we need them. Yeah, that's that's valuable. Something we need, especially because I think we're going to lose a couple guys with options that aren't going to be able to be shuttled up and down, uh, specifically next year, like Corey Oswalt's one I think of. I, he's got to be out of options, Corey Oswalt. So not that we care. I, I, no, I Trevor Williams is better though. Even like that's that's I think where we're trying to lead to is like while he isn't an ace, he shouldn't be in our rotation. The fact that we can stash him instead of some of the other guys is really nice. No, and I definitely we all know that Corey Oswalt is going to be in the Mariners next year and make thirty starts and have a three point seven ERA and probably pitch in a playoff game because that's just what happens when the Mets get rid of guys. They go to the Mariners <laughs> and they get good. Unreal that Chris Flexen's going to start a friggin' wild card game for that team. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's still going to be Logan Gilbert, but we'll see. And then Trevor Rogers is, I mean, he's good. He's really good, and he's just really cementing himself as the Mets are never going to hit me in my lifetime. And I can't. No, not not many people are. He's a fantastic pitcher. He's really, really good. And he had a rough season, too. A lot of personal stuff going on with his parents and his grandparents. I think both of his grandpas died within like a week of each other, and he wasn't there mentally and stuff with the COVID going on. It's good to see a nice young player like this kind of get back into the swing of things and show that great talent he has, even if he is on the Marlins. Like, we're Mets fans here, but we do also appreciate good baseball. Of course, especially good pitching. He's a fantastic pitcher from the left side. He's he's unique, he's talented, and I like to see him succeed. And then this game went to extras because the Mets can't score off Trevor Rogers and the Marlins can't score off Trevor Williams. Brett Hand somehow was we got into the ninth inning because the eighth no one could score because again this is still the Mets versus the Marlins in September. Somehow he pitched a clean ninth and I'm really really starting to think that we might see Brett Hand in 2022, which just sends a shiver down my spine. Was it your dad when we were at the game yesterday who said, yeah. "Oh, Brad Hand is going to be on this team," and uh, that is again one of our worst nightmares. I might boycott some games here, but though it's the stat that came up on the screen today at City Field about like he, his last six appearances his ERA is like 1.89 I hate it I hate it so much cuz it's, it's just it's fake it's a lie it's fake it's a lie and also he's only given up two hits in those six appearances but it's not a sample size you can really use to judge a player's talent but I'm just very worried that he gets the um he gets the roster spot next year it was occupied by loop this year where you take a shot on a soft tossing lefty who you know has a little bit of stuff and you can probably tinker with and that, that again, scares the piss out of me. But we'll, we're going to cross that bridge when we get to it. Yeah, we'll, we'll worry about that when Brad Hand officially resigns. And then the way we won this game is just wonderful because James McCann crushed it. Absolute seed just past the pitcher's mound, or just before the pitcher's mound, just past the pitcher who couldn't get a glove on it. And uh, the Mets win because pff, the Marlins are really bad. That's why. Yeah, and Javi's a lunatic and he just broke. Just went home. He was like, listen, James McCann's up. I got to try anything. Like, this guy is not going to be able to win it by hitting the ball to the outfield. I got to be able to be sneaky. And that's what Javi does. That's why he's a fun player to have in the team. So, yeah, swept another doubleheader, which is cool. Two wins. Mets feeling good. Kind of stinks because, like, the draft pick situation, and we're just going to lose a, a nice pick here, which stinks. But, hey, whatever. we passed it. It's over it. Game three now. 
me and you, another game. We went with our dads. That was the first game that we got both Mr. and Mr. or Mr. Shiano and Mr. Luino out to the game with each other, along with us. Had a nice night. We got some nice sandwiches from uh, what Sal, Chris, and Charlie's, I believe it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, Sal, Chris, and Charlie's. Shout out Sal, Chris, and Charlie's. Best sandwich in Astoria. Oh, yeah, out in Astoria. They got the bomb. I, I'm, a, I'm a glizzy man. I get the hot dog, so I, I ate that, and I had a great time. But as well as the night was, the Mets' performance, at least offensively, was not. This was the microcosm for the Mets' season. If you want to point to any game that the Mets have played this year, and I'm sure there's going to be many, and we're going to do some, we're going to look back at some of the more fun games in a few weeks here, but... This was the one that really symbolized the Mets. In a game where they had eight or nine hits, Taiwan Walker pitched a great game, and they could only muster two runs, and they allowed one little tiny mini rally by the opposing team to completely break them. This That, that was it. It's happened over and over again this season, and it happened again on Wednesday night. Worth noting, we've been to a lot of Taiwan starts this year, and he has had his best start every time we're there. So, Taiwan, if you're listening, if anyone knows Taiwan, get him in contact with the Mets. Stuff. Boys, we'd love to come to all your starts next year. Just throwing that out there. This was literally the seventh time I saw Taiwan Walker pitch this year, and there was never a bad one. And I think I've also, like, not the same games, but I've also seen Taiwan pitch like seven times because there's some games that I've been to that you weren't at that Taiwan was also on the mound for. Definitely, me too, and a lot that we were at together. Yes. Yeah, he's always been good. This was the first start of the second half that Taiwan actually featured his two-seamer. First time really since, I think it was June 28th, that he threw more two-seamers than any other pitch in his repertoire. And... It was fine. It got one whiff, but it got a lot of called strikes, which is a real like callback, a little nostalgia back to the first half when things were fun. 28% CSW rate. And just overall, he had a very even mix of two-seam, four-seam, slider, and splitter, mixing a few curves. Threw five pitches at a, like a requisite amount to the point where he was able to get a lot of soft contact, and he was relatively effective against a Marlins lineup that leaves a lot to be desired. He still only got five walk, five strikeouts and three walks, which is not the type of ratio you would like to see from a guy who pitches into the eighth inning, but... Sure, dude. Just we gave him a nice standing ovation. It was fine. He also the craziest thing of the whole night set the all-time Mets record for starts in a season, allowing two hits or fewer. And we were talking about with our dads of like, how is this even possible? And we've came to the you know realization that Tom Seaver, Doc Gooden, even Jacob Degrom, those guys go almost too far into games where like a two hitter is is a really hard thing to do eight or nine innings into the game, but you pitch five or six innings. It's a little easier when you don't have that many batters to face, and that's just kind of the weird luck that Taiwan's come into with like getting this record that is arbitrary for all you know intents and purposes, but still kind of nuts. Yeah, still being the record books for it, and I think that's just the nature of Taiwan. We have to accept that going into next year. Sure, he flashed some incredible talent in the first half of the season, but this just isn't a guy who's a two three in rotation. He's a four five, and that's really okay. You need four fives. The two threes feel much better because you have the four fives. As long as he's going out there next year and we didn't make his arm fall off because he overpitched this season, and he can give us 140, 150 quality innings of high three and low four ERA with like a 22% K rate, there's a guy, and he's going to be worth the $10 million price tag he has. I mean, you remember what the rotation was supposed to be like. DeGrom was supposed to be pitching. Carrasco was supposed to be pitching more. Syndergaard was supposed to get in there. And Stroman, Taiwan realistically could be the number five. Those are four guys who were very much ahead of Taiwan Walker on the depth chart to start the year. And he just, like, he he did pick up a lot of the weight, a lot of the, you know, help that we needed while he didn't perform that great down the stretch. Coming off of the injuries and the amount of pitches that he's thrown in the past years, the dude is a workhorse, and he has had some great starts for this year. So super excited to see Taiwan next year. And he's a bulldog. We say it over and over again. He's a great attitude. He wants to have the ball in his hands. He wants to be on the mound in the big moment. And while there weren't that many big moments this year because his team did fall apart, I just like the drive and the energy and the desire, and he's 
seems to be a great influence to the clubhouse. Everyone seems to like him. Him and Stroman seem to become very good friends very quickly. He's a good guy to have around. And this would have been a much better start looking back, but the offense just didn't do shit. Didn't do shit. Eliezer Hernandez is on the mound. He consistently gives the Mets fits. He threw basically 50% sliders, and he has that really weird slider that's like kind of slow and doesn't move a ton, but it's still for some reason unhittable. Got nine whiffs on 17 swings, which is more than a 50% whiff rate. It's crazy. We saw an absolute nuke, though, by Michael Conforto again, kind of in his, uh, you know, goodbye, I guess, to the New York Mets. Swan song. Yeah, swan song. Nuke. Furthest home run of the year. I said at the time to you, I was like, that might be the best hit baseball of the Mets all year, and it turns out it very much was. Yeah, it was. The longest home run of the year before this was a Pete Alonzo home run, 453 feet back in June. So, Conforto blew this out by 15 feet. He hit it up to the Shea Bridge, basically. It was a monster dong. Monster dong. Good little exclamation point to the end of what could be his Mets career, especially in City Field. Javi Lindor swinging the bat well, too. Dom got a double. His 30th extra base hit on the season, which is just, that's an insane sentence. I was thinking maybe 30 home runs in a full year for this guy going into the last few years. I was thinking if he if he got 500 at-bats like he wound up happy, he could have had 30 homers and 30 doubles. Yeah, no. He has 30 extra base hits total. Uh, super disappointing season. Nimmo also, a little double down the line or slice that whatever it was. Because it's nice Brandon Nimmo. He just is good. He's going to do this. Just hits. And then we have to pick this up in the eighth inning because that's where this game did end up falling apart. Taiwan started the inning. I don't want to say he didn't have much left, but he definitely wasn't his sharpest at this point. He wound up being pulled with first and second, nobody out. And Seth Lugo came in, and he coughed up the two inherited runners and an additional one for his own to wind up with the loss on this game. And of all the people, Alex Jackson got the big uh, the big double on a slider, smoked it off the wall, and Miguel Rojas had the dinky single to drive him in and put the Marlins ahead. And this kind of leads us into what I know you're going to go into more depth about now, Lugo's season, because it has been a little bit of a roller coaster. When he's been bad, he's been bad. When he's good, we know he's one of the better relievers in baseball, but there's been a lack of consistency, and whether that's through his injury history or maybe like you've thrown out before, like the idea that he's trying to become a starter, and I think the information you're going to tell everybody here kind of pushes that you know agenda a little bit further. He's just doing something like just a little wrong and off, and that's making the difference right now. And that concept is so bizarre to me because the Mets have come out time and time again and reiterate that Seth Lugo is reliever. That's where we feel he's best, and he has seemed to agree with that time and time again. But for some reason, the game plans that the Mets put forth for Seth Lugo don't really lend themselves to being an elite reliever. And that's you kind of see that because his chase rate and his whiff rate are both at career highs, which I was a little bit shocked about. So it's not really that guy, he, he isn't making he isn't missing bats and making guys swing at bad pitches. It's just really the fact that he's throwing too many fastballs and namely too many sinkers. There's no reason for a guy with the stuff like Seth Lugo to throw basically any sinkers. And he's throwing them 25% of the time. When you tacked it on to as much as he throws his four-seamer, that's 55% of his pitches. There's no reason with the curveball that Seth Lugo has that 55% of all of his pitches should be fastballs. And who knows, maybe that is because the curveball gives him trouble with the partially torn UCL. You never know if that's true. People say velocity puts more strain on the elbow, but maybe Seth Lugo specifically, the way he snaps that thing off, like at very much the 12-6 angle, maybe that does it. Maybe the Mets medical staff knows that he can't throw that many curveballs in and out of thing or else shit could go wrong, which would be crazy if he's pitching tied together like rubber bands like that, but it's a possibility because we are the Mets. And there's a guy who had an off-season like, cleanup procedure, which is one of my favorite terms in all the fucking sports. Like The guy goes under the needles to get cleaned up. Like I just can't believe that for a second as a civilian, but... It's just that fucking sinker, man. Like, 
it's the only pitch that in his arsenal he throws more than 10% of the time that has less than a 30% whiff rate. And that includes his fastball that has over a 40% whiff rate in his 14 fastball that has elite ride and fantastic spin. His curveball that we know is one of the best in baseball. And his slider, which we've both picked on a little bit. It got hit hard by Alex Jackson there, but it's generally a above average pitch. Not that he needs this many pitches, again, to be a reliever, but... That sink, 25 balls have been put in play on that sinker this year, which is not a great sample. You'd like to see 50 or 60 balls in play for an adequate sample for batted ball events on a single pitch. But it's still getting hit very hard. Hitters are hitting almost 300 against it. The ex-Woba against his 375. Like, if it was me, I would just tell him to throw that pitch all the way out. If Seth Lugo was a starter and had to work through 100 pitches and get through 6-7 innings, then yeah, it's probably worth having that pitch and trying to get some contact at some points in the game to try and keep the line moving. But just like the way he commands his breaking ball and how good his four-seamer is at missing bats and how perfectly that plays off the curve, I just really can't comprehend the fact that he continues to stay committed to the sinker. You got to take that sinker. We got to crumple it up into a ball, throw it right into the garbage can. Just There's no reason for it. Just grab Seth Lugo by the collar and say, stop throwing the fucking sinker, man. Just don't do it. Look at the numbers. Do you not understand? <laughs> I get my guy Hefner. I gotta send him an email or something. He'll listen. The guy's up for. I'm sure he's very much about the collaborative process over here. He just wants to make this team better, and he has. He's been great. But Lugo, pitch selection is super weird. And I mean, to finish up this game here of Game Three, the Mets couldn't hit the Marlins bullpen. They got eight or nine hits in the game and scored two runs. You just you can't expect to win games when you score two runs. There's not even. It doesn't really even fall on Lugo's shoulders. It doesn't fall on the pitcher's shoulders. You're trying to pitch a perfect game, and that's. Just hard to do. Definitely. And it really exacerbates the um, the lack of production by this offense when the bullpen could come in and give up a little mini rally. Like, theoretically, the Mets bullpen came into this game, pitched two, almost two innings, and only gave up one run. You think on a regular day, your starter will go six, and your bullpen will pitch seven, eight, nine. Even if your bullpen gives up one run, throwing three innings a night, that's a 3.33 ERA. That'd be a top five bullpen ERA in baseball. Like, it all comes down to the bats. I'm honestly kind of happy that we started this with game four and now we're ending it with game three. So we could really just hammer home that this has been the problem all year. The fact that the lack of run support has forced our pitching staff to try to be perfect, put the pressure on them, and when you're not, it really magnifies the issues, and that is the biggest problem with this team. Yeah, you just you can't be a successful team if you're not scoring runs, and the Mets are not doing it. Mets have scored 627 runs on the season th- through their you know season thus far. It'll probably end around 640-ish, somewhere around that range. Some teams that have scored, you know, relatively similar runs to them. The Marlins have scored about 12 less. That's bad. The Marlins have 65 wins. You've watched them play. They're a bad team. The Cubs have significantly more runs than the Mets. Significantly more. The Diamondbacks have more runs than the Mets. The Rockies have more runs than the Mets. The Detroit Tigers, the Kansas City Royals, the last place Minnesota Twins, the Baltimore Orioles, the Los Angeles Angels, the Seattle Mariners. I mean, there are some real weak offenses that we just named that are having more success than the Mets this year, and that just can't continue to happen. And also, if you want to look at more of the rate statistics, not just runs that are scored, things that are more predictive, like barrels, teams like the Tigers, the Indians, the Orioles, these all teams, the Cubs, the Angels, these are all teams with better barrel rates than the Mets on the season. You can't be a winning baseball team when you don't barrel the ball up and hit it hard. And in case you guys don't know what a barrel is, it's hitting a ball, what, 95 miles an hour plus, as well as... 95 plus in in a range of... um, 
desirable uh, launch angles. Yeah. So like basically line drives is kind of what you're hitting, looking at. Hitting it, hitting it, hitting it on the nose. Yes. To call it. No ground balls. You don't get ground balls for barrels. Does not exist. No. It doesn't happen. And that's why you see guys like Adam Frazier and David Fletcher who have like one or two barrels on the season. It's it's very hard to barrel the ball when you don't hit the ball in the air. Or or none, in <laughs> most sense. It's like David Fletcher. We talked about that tonight. So, yeah. Game three was, like you said, a perfect microcosm for the Mets season. Good pitching. People probably are blaming the pitching for that game, but it really falls on the offense and the lack thereof it. The guys who are good continue to be pretty good in this game, but it just wasn't enough. The Mets did not get full production out of that lineup. So we know the bottom of the line specifically has been a black hole all season long with guys like James McCann, Tomas Nito, um, I mean, Kevin Pillar, Kevin Pillar, the guys getting that bats down there. It's been hard to generate runs, especially when the guys in front of them are getting on base. It's kind of just what happened again. We saw Jose Peraza at bat in game three, and it just had me remember that he had a home run this year off Josh Hader and another long double that should have been a home run off of Aroldis Chapman. Those little tiny things you remember over the course of a season. It's just how the fuck did that happen? Jose Peraza, man, the dude owns an elite left-handed reliever. That is for sure. And I guess that kind of wraps up here the last home series of the Mets. Uh, we got the Braves coming up for three. The pitching matchups, I know Stroman's going to pitch one of the games. We're going to get McGill. We're going to get McGill, I believe, on Friday night. I think that's logically how it matches up here. Yep, McGill, and then we're on track to see Trevor Williams, which I just don't think that's probably right. It's got to be Carrasco, right? Yeah, ESPN schedule is so trash. It'll probably be Carrasco, and then on Sunday will probably be Stroman. Trevor Williams might mix in. Are we going to see another inning from Syndergaard, or was it just one and done? I'm not sure. Uh, in my head, I'm under the assumption that he's probably going to throw one more, I would think, before the season ends. I, I'm sure he probably wants to throw one more. I, I don't blame the Mets either way. No, me neither, but whatever. I'm just happy the Braves got that division championship out of the way tonight, so we don't have to watch them celebrate. Yeah, we don't have to watch them celebrate, and at least the freaking Phillies don't get it either. That's, that's another big bonus for me because, God, I hate that team. I hate the Braves, but the Phillies are different. And we can get root for Pete DeForty. Pete DeForty. That's what we're rooting for here. Rooting for our guys to hit some milestones. Lindor got 20 home runs. Want some WRC pluses to finish above 100. We want to end the season strong here so we can go into 2022 with a little better understanding of what this team's going to look like, a little better understanding of what we can expect, and hopefully positive vibes because the Mets, we were positive fives early on, but this team, we hit some weird stretch, and this team crumbled, crumbled. But I think things, as weird as it sounds, are ending on somewhat of a higher note than we expected. I mean, than we expected a week ago, not yeah. than we expected oh. a month ago. Oh, no, the season's a failure, massive failure. Let's not forget True. that. But, like, 100%. we were down in the dumps, gloom and doom. Like, basically, I don't even want to watch this team. Now, granted, these last 30 games here aren't going to be must-watch television, but as you guys know, we always talk about the games here, so we'll still be keeping tabs on everything going on. Absolutely. That's what we're here for. And I think that's honestly where we're going to wrap it up here for episode number 54 of the Mets Stop Podcast. Appreciate you guys listening. Appreciate you following, subscribing, whatever you do. really does, you know, go a long way for us. Had a great season thus far. One more series left here of the 2021 season, so make sure you don't miss out. Drop us a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at MetsUp. Drop James a follow. James Shano Jeter had no range on Twitter. Drop me a follow. Giraffe Neck Mark with a C. If you're interested in hearing what we have to say outside of the podcast or any of the other content that we make here, we both do a lot of stuff all over the place. Appreciate the amazing support you guys have given us. Almost done with the season here, but even when it does end, we won't be going away. We're going to be moving to one episode a week, but we'll talk about that more after the Atlanta Brave series and our season wrap up. So 
Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for watching. Appreciate the support. And we'll see you on the last episode of the 2021 season, episode number 55. Peace out, guys. Peace out, guys. Thanks for listening.